0: from James 3, verse 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of God to us today. Bless you, Philip, for stepping in in such short notice. (laughs) Father God, I just pray for Philip now, that as he is anointed by you to bring words of wisdom, Father, I pray that our hearts, our ears, our spirits would be fully open to receive what you have to bring to us. From the words of this man who has just, I'm sure, spent... Time with you to bring just what we need to hear, Lord, and I pray that we'll be challenged and changed Amen. for your sake. Lord. Amen. Thank you, Dad.
1: Yeah. Wisdom. What's wisdom? Following on from Nicola. Has anyone been to the dentist lately? Have you ever had trouble with your wisdom teeth? Do we become wise in our teenage years when we grow these teeth and do we lose wisdom when we get them pulled out? I don't think so. An easy definition of wisdom for you to remember is this knowledge is knowing tomatoes are a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put them in the fruit salad. (laughs) (laughs) Even if they don't, rot your wisdom teeth. Okay, a bit more serious. Here's the dictionary definition. Wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. It's the quality of being wise. Or. It's the ability to use your knowledge and experience to make good decisions and judgments following on from those that Nicola told us earlier. I think we're getting closer with those, but the one I prefer is from my ancient NIV study Bible. It says this, wisdom is not just acquired knowledge, but... It's practical insight with spiritual implications. Practical insight with spiritual implications. Let's hang on to that as we consider what this passage is telling us about wisdom. And you can see there are two parts of it. One is good wisdom, the other is bad wisdom. One is what I'm calling godly wisdom, and the other is worldly wisdom. So we're going to start with the good bits, if we can have the slide up. Please, let's just read this together, shall we? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. We'll keep that up so that we can refer to it as I go on. So yeah, this is the wisdom that James is obviously calling us to. And immediately the words tell us this is not worldly wisdom, it comes from heaven, right? It comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's divinely inspired. And we can recall some passages in 1 Corinthians chapter one. Paul says this: "It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, who have become from us, for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Jesus is defined here by Paul as God's wisdom. So it's Jesus Christ who is going to give us the right wisdom, the godly wisdom. And Isaiah prophesied that too about Jesus. He said, Isaiah 11, verse 2, the spirit of the Lord, talking about Jesus, will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel, of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. The spirit of wisdom. That's the spirit that's available to those who have faith in Jesus. So yeah, Godly wisdom comes from heaven, but we can see other things here as well. It entails deeds and not just words. It talks about deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. You'll remember Dan preaching on an earlier section of James where a key quote is this. James said, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? And he talks about saying, mouthing pious words to someone who's in desperate need of food or hunger or whatever it is, but no practical help for that person in dire straits. That's the point about deeds. And we could add that it's not just James who's telling us that deeds are key. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, deeds in other words, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that was a theme that Dan mentioned as well. We get to heaven by faith, right? We're accepted by God through our faith. But the faith is shown to be genuine by the deeds that we do that are of help to others. So godly wisdom is from heaven. Godly wisdom is about deeds. A third thing we can see here, it's not about self-improvement godly wisdom is about is interpersonal right it contrasts with the dictionary definition and it contrasts with a lot of things that we think about some of the things that we said earlier i'm not saying they were wrong but it's not what james is talking about self improvement is not the thing the characteristics he quotes are this remember it says there pure peace loving considerate submissive full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere what's peace Peace can be yourself, of course, but it's peace with between people that I think he means here. Considerate, you're, means you're considerate of other people. Submissive, you can only be submissive to the needs of other people. You can be merciful and impartial, who? To others. So yeah, we're not talking here about self-improvement. We're not talking about a white sage on a mountain who's talking to himself but we're talking to a follower of Jesus Christ in a community such as this one that we have here. From heaven about deeds and interpersonal, it's interpersonal of course, in a positive way. It's the wisdom that benefits others. We love our neighbor as ourselves. if we follow what James is saying here. We bless others by our interaction. And that's why I think he says first of all that wisdom is pure, it's holy, it doesn't have an ulterior motive. It's gonna help. And the humility that he mentions, of course, is, implies by, ne- by its definition, putting other people first. So all of these are ways in which Jesus modeled for us in his life on earth. Wasn't he considerate, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and all those things? Jesus Christ showed us what godly wisdom Uh, entails. So yeah, and it should have long-term good consequences as well. Have you noticed, gardeners among us, despite the drought we've got masses of blackberries and apples, yeah? Well I have anyway. I bet you have too. James talks of godly wisdom as being full of good fruit. He talks about a harvest of righteousness for those who sow peace and we can see indeed that the list of characteristics we've got here are very close to what paul lists in galatians as the fruit of the spirit can anyone list them for me what's the first one Love. go on great stuff yes the fruit of the spirit those are what are going to come out from this godly wisdom that James is telling us about. It blesses the whole community. It brings us closer to what the Trinity themselves model, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are a community, right? They have mutual submission. They have perfect love. They have harmony. That's what we're being called to do. It implies, if we follow this godly wisdom, that we're doing what God wanted us when he created us, created mankind in his own image. Genesis 1:27. We are caring for one another, caring for creation. If you like, there's an ordering here. What the godly wisdom suggests is we put God first. He is the source of wisdom. We put others next who are the beneficiaries of his wisdom and we put ourselves last, we do our deeds in humility, right? And the watchword is love. So yeah, we don't have to think very much about things going on at the moment to know we've got a great example of godly wisdom in the Queen, whom we're mourning. The Queen was always considerate, she was always sincere. She cared for her family, the nation, the world, She saw herself as a servant. She wasn't perfect, of course, but she clearly aspired to exactly the wisdom that James is telling us about. And she proclaims her commitment to Jesus Christ so that others might follow him. But we can act in these ways as well, of course, as we pray for each other and as we offer help. And I'm gonna give you an example. I needed recently to move some furniture so that Claire and I could have our bedroom downstairs for safety and it's not something I could do alone, it's not something that me and Kenny could do alone. I might do my back in for one thing. So, I asked on the men's group, could anyone help in a week's time? And I got volunteers for that very day. What did God's wisdom tell them? God's wisdom made them considerate of our needs over whatever other restful and active things they might have done on that Saturday, a day of rest. And they gave us the good fruit of a new comfy and safe location to sleep, that day, straight away. And yeah, there may be something you can do similarly, within your own capacity, of course. You may not be in for furniture moving, but there may still be things that you can do, stepping out for others with godly wisdom. So yeah, I hope that's clear. But yeah, James is also challenging us with our temptation to follow another kind of wisdom, what we can call worldly wisdom. We can move to the next slide. Let's read it together again. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and all, every evil practice. So we're seeing here something diametrically opposed to the godly wisdom that we've heard about. And what is it about? It's about me, me, and me, self, self, self. We're bitterly envious of others' success, We want to do them down. We want selfish ambition to get ahead for our own sake, not caring whether we trample other people in the process. We treat others as objects, as a means to an end, dictated by our own ego. And if you look at the scripture, you can clearly see a link to Genesis here, because Eve was tempted, wasn't she, to take the forbidden fruit by Satan and it says when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and ate it, she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it Genesis 3.6 it was desirable for gaining wisdom earthly worldly wisdom that wisdom, her desire was rooted in the envy of God himself. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to be equal to him. They wanted to be independent of him. And what did it lead to, of course? They were banished, as we were, from his presence. The murder of Abel by Cain, the Tower of Babel, where mankind tried to reach heaven by their own efforts. And all the sorry tale of man's inhumanity to man ever since, mankind that is. So yeah, the role of Satan is crucial. James says this is demonic, right? The worldly wisdom is demonic. And that's why I think it's important in the NIV that it talks about spiritual implications of wisdom. It's better than these secular definitions. And we can see how important wisdom is to Satan of his own kind if we look at Ezekiel chapter 27. And there's an account which says it's about the king of Tyre, but it's widely thought that this parallels Satan's fall from heaven. And what we read there is that initially Satan had this high status in heaven. It says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. But what it says then is, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom. Because of your splendor, so I threw you to the earth. This is God speaking. And there he remains, Satan, the prince of this world. He wants to corrupt our wisdom too. He wants to corrupt our godly wisdom to his worldly one. So, yeah, what about worldly wisdom? It's destructive of community, it's destructive of society. And that's not least because civilization, in in effect, requires some kind of trust, the trust that we won't be fooled and robbed, at least not by people we know well, and institutions which have a reputation, and we thank God for the police who protect us against the worst excesses that others might impose on us. But yeah, that's why James talks about disorder and every evil practice that results from it you can see that we're not talking here about love and others we're talking about self and even hatred the self comes first in all cases I'm going to talk to you now about something which I hope will be interesting but I think it's a great example of what worldly wisdom leads to and the catastrophe it can lead to and the example is the behavior of senior bankers in the mid-2000s, leading up to the 2008 financial crisis. There were plenty of what we can see in retrospect were evil practices. They were motivated by short-term profit. That could boost their bonuses and the value of their stock options. They were selfishly ambitious. Their firms were so big, they assumed governments would bail them out, so they felt free to take risks that would benefit their incomes and might just otherwise be dumped on the taxpayer. They encouraged their institutions to lend to people knowing they couldn't repay. In fact, there was a thing called liar's loans where you encourage poor people to exaggerate their income so you could lend them even more that they couldn't repay. And they invested in securities based on those sorts of loans, whose quality was exaggerated by the rating agencies who were supposed to protect investors. And those securities had their value collapsed as soon as the crisis hit. And finally, they bought other institutions with enormous debt at inflated prices. Some of you may have heard of Fred the Shred, who used to run Royal Bank of Scotland and bought ABN Amro, and then the whole thing collapsed because of the debt, as did Lehman Brothers, Lloyds, Northern Rock. And that had a wider implication. It wasn't just an issue for the bankers. It left the community with widespread job losses and we suffered 10 years of austerity trying to get the public finances together because of bitter envy and selfish ambition bitter envy and selfish ambition (coughs) a great quote which I have here is that uh, someone in the rating agency said we continue to create an even bigger monster the CDO market that's these securities they said let's hope we're all wealthy and retired by the time this house of cards collapses falters. So yeah. And if you want to know more, you can read about it in my book, The Crisis and the Kingdom. This This one's for Lee. But you don't have to be a banker. You think, I'm not a banker. I didn't do all that. But look, the tendency we all have is to put ourselves first. Think of when you might have spoken disparagingly about someone behind their backs. It's so easily done, isn't it? That's envy, that's selfish ambition. Or when you've been proud that your car, house, garden is better than the neighbors. Or if you're bitter and angry when your car, house, garden isn't, right? I'm gonna give you a personal one. It was an encounter in one of my professional roles as a central banker. and I had a colleague and we were having a conversation And he suddenly said, he wanted to punch me in the face. He said, you want to fight? I'm pretty good. He was angry, because I told him off for bullying other members of staff. And I diffused the situation, my nose is still in place, by saying, I don't think that's really necessary. I thought I was the good guy. But I can see in retrospect I was being ferociously ambitious for a senior management position that indeed I did achieve in that institution. And also I, in effect, took away his research assistant so she could write papers with me. And I can understand, now that I'm a Christian, I wasn't then, that I was showing selfish ambition and I caused disorder. And that helped to lead to that confrontation. Could have happened differently otherwise. So yeah, here's a question. Why is bitter envy and selfish ambition so pervasive? I'm telling you, this is the way the world works. Satan has a very good publicity team. What about adverts, for instance, that try and encourage us to borrow beyond our means, buy stuff, buy experiences, that will make the neighbours jealous? Remember the first advert for access, anyone? What does access do? It takes the takes the waiting out of wanting, yes? Takes the waiting out of wanting. My own subject, economics. Economics, you may say, is arcane and abstruse, can't have any relevance for the real world. I'm telling you, this is the theology of today. It's the guide to business and government policy. You're going to hear about it from the government in the coming days. It's clearly guilty. The core assumption of economics is that people are motivated only by their self-interest. Sometimes they say, if you deviate from that, you must be irrational. And it has great difficulty explaining why people might do things like do charitable giving, relationships, community. It says, well, the only reason people might do that is because they might feel a bit better themselves, right? Very narrow. But this is where the world is running, friends. It implies that loyalty and trust can be broken if if your self-interest dictates. Doesn't that sound familiar? Even in our own lives? Yeah, because, go to the final slide. The challenge James is giving us seems obvious. Who would want to choose something that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic when you can have pure, peace, loving, and considerate? Eh? Who would want to do that? We all would. We all would. God created us free to love him or not love him. But we're children of Adam and Eve and we are vulnerable like them to the devil's temptation to repeat their mistakes. And it's backed up by this whole system of the world that favors and encourages bitter envy and selfish ambition. Satan is still the prince of this world, as the Bible says. So what James is doing is challenging us to examine ourselves for our vulnerabilities to the temptation to follow worldly wisdom. That's why he says, don't boast about it or deny the truth. So, as I close, let's just say, how can we counteract it? How can we make sure that we follow worldly, godly wisdom and not worldly? James himself gives part of the answer. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Chapter one, verse five. So ask God for wisdom. And Psalm 111 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Someone mentioned that earlier. All who follow his precepts have good understanding, reverence and respect for God, in other words, are key to gaining godly wisdom. And a third point is don't follow what other people's advice or opinions are if you feel that they might contradict what God wants. Jeremiah 17.5 says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And I think a further point is try to avoid self-importance. Be humble. Realize that we are quite insignificant. We humble If we are humble, we are following Jesus Christ, remember who humbled himself to death and even death on the cross. Just one more personal point is this. I found it important to know that to be ready to be vulnerable if you want to be godly, have godly wisdom and do good deeds. Be ready, in other words, for other people to reject your offer of help or to be totally ungrateful. And I think my own, I have a great dislike for rejection and I think it comes from when my father died when I was three. And I somehow internalized that as a form of rejection and I've always tried to avoid being in a position to be rejected. But the danger there in light of the passage is that I put self first, the desire to avoid being rejected before what God wants me to do deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So the risk is I might just stay passive when there's a clear need for help, support, love, peacemaking in a certain situation or in, in people I know. And just a challenge and a thought for you as to take away. Maybe you have vulnerabilities from your own experiences, from your past, that hold you back similarly from doing what you really know that God wants you to do and that leads you to cling to your own selfish interests, not furthering those of others. So yeah, just to close, I think we need to pray for wisdom, is what James and the part of the Bible are saying, to ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit of wisdom and examine our motives carefully if we want to meet James' challenge and truly follow godly wisdom. We should always consider when we are Conflicted? consider Jesus on the cross, the forgiveness that is always offered when we go astray. The ancient tradition of confession might have a role. You might want to talk to a trusted friend about some time when you've been led astray into worldly wisdom. You might need to be accountable at times for when we're tempted to bitter envy and selfish ambition. But I believe that these things are possible in, uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit and thanks to God's love and the sacrifice of our Lord. And then, like a faithful gardener, we can enable others to reap the good fruit of our deeds done in humility and reaping the harvest of righteousness that comes from sowing in peace. Amen.